Hey, today I'm speaking to Dr. Yossi Vardi. He is a father figure of the Israeli startup nation. If you want to learn about entrepreneurship, Yossi is the person. So you have to understand, it is a great honor for me. He shared with us why technology is not enough to build product and services, why he often goes to art and design exhibitions, and what the Vardi rule he invented means actually. All and more in today's episode. So stay tuned. We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, You as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast. With me, Nir Hindi. Hey podcast listeners, welcome back and thank you for joining us at the Artian Podcast where we explore the connection between art, technology and entrepreneurship. I am very excited for today's guest as he is one of Israel's startup nation father fear, Dr. Yossi Vardi. Welcome Yossi. Nice to be here. Thank you, Yossi, for joining us. Let me give maybe a kind of brief introduction to what you are doing, and I'm I definitely going to miss a few things because the list is very long. So for more than 47 years now, you are already created or were involved and built more than 85 different startups in various fields, including uh, software, energy, internet, and mobile. ICQ is one of the most famous ones, pioneered instant messaging owned by AOL. If you grew up in the 90s, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Today, you are the chairman of DLD and four years from now, you were involved in the peace conversations. The Wall Street Journal Europe selected you as the Tech Top 25. TechCrunch awarded you as the best investor personality. Haaretz, a leading newspaper in Israel, chose you among the 50 persons of the decade. And the list, as I mentioned, goes on and on and on. Therefore, to catch Yossi for a conversation is a fantastic opportunity. And for that, Yossi, I'm thankful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yossi, you are very familiar with entrepreneurship. You were a very young entrepreneur back in the 60s in Israel. And since then, you got involved in entrepreneurship in, through the years. And what I've noticed that in the last few decades, entrepreneurship became a very popular topic or desirable goal in many countries. Now, many countries trying to attract entrepreneurs, companies want to have entrepreneurial employees, and we have a massive number of startups that come in from all around the world. And many of them look to Israel. And as someone that knows the ecosystem very well, I'm just kind of wondering, what makes Israel the right environment for entrepreneurship in that sense? Okay, it is true that in, the, in recent years, We have a continuous stream of people who are coming to Israel to try and understand why we have so many startups and how, why so many youngsters are willing to take risks and to try and start their own companies. We see here uh, corporations, investors, governments, cities. There is a continuous parade. Uh, I call it uh, high-tech safari. Because of all these people are coming here and uh, look at us <laughs> as animals in the safari. And uh, usually the explanations you, you get uh, to explain this phenomena are things like the government policy, the level of education, the effect of the army, etc, etc. And all of these uh, things are correct. But you have all these things also in other countries. This only cannot explain what's going on here. My explanation is that the reason why we have this sort of thing is not because of financial or technological or education reasons only. It has to do with the culture. In order to have a thriving startup community, you need A specific culture, a culture which encourages risk-taking, a culture which encourages helping each other, and culture which encourages people to become entrepreneurs. 
and to thrive to accomplish business and technological accomplishments. And the main reason is that behind every Israeli entrepreneur, there is a Jewish mother. And to be a Jewish mother, you don't have to be a Jewish and you don't have to be a female. Jewish mother, it's not ethnic, it's not gender, it's some kind of a mental disorder. You see, <laughs> in this country, at the 1st of September, when the kid go to first grade, to school for the first grade, when he's six years old, he or she, his mother will tell him, and don't forget, after all what we have done for you, asking, asking you for one Nobel Prize is really too much. So the young kid knows that he has to go now and work 12 years in order to accomplish his Nobel Prize. And this is the kind of culture we have. People are motivated, people are risk-taking, and since Israel is a small country, people are also caring for each other in a higher degree, which you see in other societies. I'm interested to hear from you, and maybe the listeners want to hear from you. Do you think at least some aspects of this culture can be replicated or created locally in other places? Look, culture is very much embedded in the personality of human being. You know, where uh, you look on immigrants, they can adopt the new culture, but there is always will be something missing from their childhood. You know, some things which are embedded when you are a kid, they are embedded even not directly. You know, every Israeli kid is being exposed 24 by seven to a brainwash of their parents. And it's not that they go and pitch them, but for comments, for instance, when you watch the TV, you know, when you watch the TV and you will see somebody who is a bodybuilder in some countries or, or a very athletic in some countries, it will be praised. In Israel, it also will be praised. But if there will be a program about Albert Einstein, Every Jewish mother will tell her son, you see, this is Einstein and he is the smartest man in the world. You have to be like him, you know. So this kind of brainwashing is going on and on and on in the school, in the streets, with comments from your friends, what people appreciate, what people admire, what people regard as important. So it's very hard to replicate culture. You can... You can replicate some things, and there are things which you cannot replicate. I tell you what you can replicate, and this is for startups to succeed, you need to have an ecosystem which supports it. You have to remember that trying to do a startup is a huge undertaking. You know, you have usually three young people with no experience. You know, in Israel, they probably just finished the army, and they try to create a venture which have to deal with issues like developing a product, distributing the product, serving the customers, raising funds, hiring people, managing the people, many undertakings that in big company, you have 200 people which are running the whole things. In a startup, you have three guys who have to do all of it. It's almost impossible to do it without a support of some kind of an ecosystem. And in Israel, we have a very developed ecosystem where people not only are helping each other ad hoc, but many people are volunteering to give talks in order to educate other people. All the big companies in Israel are availing spaces for the startups, you know, to do events, etc., etc. So what you can replicate is the ecosystem component of it to a certain extent. What is more difficult to replicate is a culture which will motivate the people and attribute to them that they have to take a risk and they have to thrive for not only success, but mainly excellence and accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, you know, I often been asked about the book uh, Startup Nation and I tell them it's a great book, but the army has a big part over there. And I think that from very young age in Israel, people already have this mindset that they want to be their own bosses. They want to create things. They want to build. A... So it's kind of start, yeah, very, very early. Good afternoon. Two years ago, we participated together in a panel and the whole event was a very unique event. The title was Art as a Way to Innovate. And we housed this event for one of Israel's top 
technology units, which was not uh, usual because it's a very engineering oriented, very, I would say, super logical, super intelligent people. On the stage, you spoke about your experience about analyzing startup and trying to understand. And over there, you kind of connected the world of art and the world of entrepreneurship for me. And I'd be happy if you can share with our listeners, what was it? Okay, 22 years ago, I made a modest investment in four Israeli young people, which my son, who was one of them, brought them to me because at that time I already used to fund startups. I was an angel investor. I didn't know I was an angel investor because at that time it was not called an angel investor. And they came with the first internet-wide instant messaging called ICQ. And we didn't know what will, be, what will happen with this concept. One of the founders made a bet with the, the other people that uh, they will be able to get about 3,000 users. Well, in the first months, we got 10,000 users. After three months, we had a quarter of a million. After eight months, we had our first million. After 10 months, we had our first two million. And the number just grew and grew and grew to hundreds and hundreds of millions. And I was sitting in front of my computer, totally amazed because we didn't do anything to market the product. We didn't spend a single penny. People just came and downloaded it. Today, this phenomena is quite known in the internet, but at that time, it was totally magic. It was like a magic, you know, how, why a product is being downloaded so much with no need to promote it. After and for seven, by the way, for seven consecutive years, it was the most downloaded product in the internet. Every month, about 3 million people downloaded it, and uh, it really was amazing. And then I thought, uh, then AOL came and we sold it to AOL for a very nice price. And then I came to the obvious conclusion that what I have to do from now on is just to replicate this success. And every week I will create or I will fund another product and we will sell it to AOL or to some other buyer and life will be very nice. But I needed to be able to understand what's going on because at that time I observed the phenomena, but I didn't have any understanding why it happens. So I decided that I will spend time trying to create an algorithm for creating compelling products. And I began to work on developing the unified, globalized, generalized theory of compelling user experience. I spent three years trying to develop the algorithm. I bought about 200 books, which are here in the shelf of my library about all kinds of different user experiences. And after three years, I came with a presentation of about 400 slides, which I call the first 100 million users are always the difficult one. And with no insight whatsoever, I developed uh, the Vardy rule. Everybody likes to have a rule called after him. And the Vardy rule says that the amount of slides you need to explain a concept is in inverse relationship to your understanding of the concept, which means if you understand the concept, you need one slide. And you, if you don't understand, you need 400 slides in order to try and to explain it. And I realized two things. One is that if you are able to reduce something to algorithm, the magic goes away and it's become a, com- a commodity. It's not, a, it's not an experience anymore. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, look at the at electric light. Electric light when it was first introduced on the 25th of December, 1878, 25,000 people took a train from New York City to Menlo Park in New Jersey to see the laboratory of Thomas Alva Edison littered for Christmas because it was so beautiful. Today, you appreciate the existing of electric light only when your fuse 
at your own piece, jump and you have darkness. Then you say, then you realize that, uh, that electric light is beautiful. When these guys came to see the light in Thomas Alva Edison laboratory, it was an amazing experience. So observation number one was that if you are able to reduce it to algorithm, then the magic goes away. My second observation, which was very important, was that there are certain people which are wired differently from what regular human beings are wired. You know, and these special people, they are very talented. I don't know how they acquire the talent. I think it's a God gift. I think when they are kids and they sleep at night, God come to them and touch their shoulder and tell one guy, you, your name is... Uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and I will give you a talent to write such a beautiful music that people will go for 300 years and pay through their nose to hear your concerts because you will be able to write so beautiful music. Or they went to another one and touched his shoulder and told him, you will be able to write the most beautiful stories for movies, and uh, this happened to Spielberg. And then they went and touched the shoulder of a guy by the name of William Shakespeare and told him you will be able to write such compelling stories that people will read your story 600 years after you wrote them. And this is the nature of talent. You cannot explain how they are able to resonate with people so much, so well. And then people are going after these talents to see their work because they are able to reach the level of communicating not just with the brain of people, but with the heart of people. By the way, all these people, and this is very important, they are motivated by passion. They are not motivated by money, they are motivated by passion. You know, they have the talent and it's like a fountain within them and they have to spread it. Yes, they need to make money in order to live, but they thrive on the appreciation of people to their talent. You know, this is the difference between incentive, which you can obtain by offering people money or carrot or waving something in front of their nose and motivation. Motivation is something which comes from within. So, and then what I realized that Again, 22 years ago, when software just began to take its very strong graphic form, you have to remember that until 20 years ago, software was just zero ones or letters or text. You didn't have all these wonderful screens with 64,000 shades of color and the ability to do graphic. And when this happened, you needed artists in order to create the software experience, the product experience. And the product experience has to do with art more than with technology. It's actually the product experience is the mitigation between the art and the technology. Put the, take two of them and create something which will be very compelling. So the software take care for the functionality and the art take care for getting user experience. If we have time, I can give you two examples, but nevertheless, once I understood that, and again, I'm talking now about uh, around 2000, I began to go and look for talented people in the software industry because there were very few and most of the people didn't realize it yet. And everyone I found who was talented, I used to give them a check of $100,000 and tell them, go and develop something. I don't care what, but go and use your talent. And... Uh, I, I would like to add also, people are asking me, what is the difference between art and technology? Here, I need to tell you a little story about a scientist by the name of Erwin Chargraf. Erwin Chargraf was a chemical biologist, and he is the guy who discovered the proteins which are connecting the two helixes of the DNA. And he discovered that these connections are, all of them are made of uh, three, or three out of four proteins, which the four proteins are the building blocks. He didn't discover the double helix, but he discovered the protein. And based on his discovery, 
Watson and Crick were able to discover the double helix of the DNA, which is, of course, one of the most important discoveries of the 20th century. Then they wrote a book called The Double Helix, Watson and Crick, and he was asked to write a critic about a review about the book. He, he didn't get the Nobel Prize, you know, they got the Nobel Prize, he didn't get the Nobel Prize. But based on his work, they were able to get the Nobel Prize. And he wrote the following thing, which is very important. He said, if Watson and Crick wouldn't discover the double helix, somebody else would have discovered it a year later or maybe 100 years later. But somebody would discover it. However, if Picasso wouldn't draw the Mademoiselles of Avignon and Shakespeare wouldn't write The Tempest, nobody else would ever done it. So this is, in a nutshell, the difference between art and technology. The two of them are very important, but they are completely different. Technology technology is kind of, of there. You know, Kevin Kelly, the, the legendary editor, first editor and creator of Wired magazine, wrote a book called What Technology Wants. And in his book, he said the technology is there. It's there. Maybe it was not discovered yet, but it's there like a mineral, mineral in the ground. And eventually somebody will unveil it. Art is something totally different. Art comes from within, from within you. And something which is now happening is the fusion of art and technology, which means you have now a new kind of art which use technology as a substrate. Use technology as a material. Okay, yeah, you use the technology as a material on which you express your art. And there, there is a whole community now which is called Makers, and they are doing wonderful things with technology, but actually they create art. I have a brother who is very gifted and create all kinds of wonderful machines, which he calls them smart and useless. Smart and, and useless. I tell him, you are basically an artist. He said, no, I'm a collector of junk because when he goes in the street, his wife is going like 10 meters behind him because she's embarrassed because every time you see a piece of an old bicycle or some old machine or some device, he will immediately collect it. And then after a few months, you see it in one of his works. He installation. Built, yeah, in installations, he built clock from 10, 10 pairs of bicycles. He wanted to create a clock which will use only bicycle parts, and he was able to do it, and he used 10 bicycles. And when his grandson saw the contraption, when he saw the installation, he said, hey, here are the bicycle I lost because he needed, a, he was missing a piece of, a pair of bicycles, so he came in the evening and took the bicycle of his grandson and put it in the machine. I saw him also in the uh, last uh, event of Kinernet, which we'll talk in a second. Yossi, before we continue, let's take a short break, and we'll be back in a second. Would you like to work personally with Nier to develop and grow your artistic mindset? At the Artian, we work with organizations and individuals to achieve greater success. Through our art-based leadership sales and innovation training, we show organizations that there is another way of thinking and another possibility of acting. Visit us at www.theartian.com. That is T-H-E-A-R-T-I-A-N.com to learn more. Thank you again for coming back. Yossi, you mentioned in your the previous uh, section, you mentioned the need for talent and how you re- actually understood that now it's not about the algorithm, but we need something more. It's about the product that speaks to the hearts of the people. And I think it's a beautiful uh, way to uh, describe how a good product can actually work. And one of the things that you are doing is that you are actually a frequent uh, visitor in art and design exhibitions. And I wonder why actually bother and take the time and go see those exhibitions. You are a very busy person, but you still do it on a regular basis. Okay, once, as I told you, I spent about three years trying to understand user experience. And I came totally fascinated, even consumed by the topic. You know, whenever I look on something, I ask myself why it works, why it doesn't work, how it relates to the how it reaches through all the layers into the heart of the 
use are the number of principles that, uh, that you can identify. I will give only one example in order not to consume too much time. But for instance, if you are threading into your product something to do with social aspect, with social network, with ability to share experience with other people, etc., it will be easier to reach to the hearts of the user. Within parentheses, you know, sharing slash collaborating are very important in reaching user experience. These are the, the, one of the main, the main drivers. Okay, now in order to, so I, I got very fascinated with creative people and I'm, I'm not creative, you know, I, I can be maybe empowering them or, or associate myself with them, etc. But I enjoy not only see what they do, but also as much as I can to give them exposures. And I found that going to, to this kind of exhibitions give you a very good insight to what's going on. Now, when you talk about uh, art, I'm not talking about going to an uh, exhibition of uh, Van Gogh in a big museum. I'm talking about looking at all these young people, what they are doing, what are they trying to do. I would usually like to see it on a three-dimensional thing, not in paintings necessarily or video, but on real things. And you have people which are creating wonderful, wonderful things. In that respect, my favorite, if you would have asked me what is your favorite place to go, is, of course, Burning Man, you know, where you see yeah. collection of art which defy imagination, which defy anything you think. So I, in recent years, I used to go there every year, not for the sex, not for the drug, but for the art, and there's a nun, a nun which I had a, a talk with her. She told me, all of them are saying they are going for the art. So, <laughs> but the art in Burning Man is really... So, Yossi, next time you are in New York, I want to recommend you to visit the ITP in NYU. Uh, it's the Interactive Telecommunication Program. And I often hear technology leaders say that they are looking for those creative people, etc. And then when I visited the exhibition, I asked myself, where are all the recruiters? How they don't come over here to see what those people are doing with engineering and technology? I'm interested to know, you obviously now you're doing it for quite a few years, meeting and getting involved with creatives, artists, and also a lot of entrepreneurs. And I wonder, do you see similarities between entrepreneurs and artists? An artist can be entrepreneur or he cannot be, can be not an entrepreneur. You know, the, you see some, some artists who know how to take their art and how to expose it and how to create an internet. And these are more entrepreneurial in their nature. And you see artists which are kind of more to themselves and it takes more time to discover them, if at all, etc. So I don't think that an artist has to be entrepreneur. But it wouldn't uh, harm him if he's an entrepreneur. Where do you see the similarity, I would say? The similarity that if you talk about a real entrepreneur which comes with his own product, you know, and is creative, if uh, the common denominator is creativity to the extent that the entrepreneur is a creative entrepreneur, you know, which means that he's not joining somebody. Because when you look on startups, you will see there are usually two or three people. One of them is the creative guy, and another guy is the, the business guy, and another guy can be the tech guy. So between creative entrepreneurs and artists, I see a lot of commonalities. But not every entrepreneur is creative, and not every artist is entrepreneur in the sense of in the general sense of entrepreneur. Now that we are talking, I have you mentioned in your talk you spoke about this internal motivation that uh, those talented individuals have and you said it it's not necessarily about motivated by money and I often see it also with entrepreneurs that it's not necessarily the money it's something more than that and I want to hear your take on that what do you think yeah yeah you are you are right what you are what you are pointing is to the importance of passion the driver what drive entrepreneurs and what drive artists and what drive many other people you know people can be driven by number of things, 
the most effective one for my experience is if the person is passionate you know if you have an internal need to go and do the thing because if he if he's passionate he will be able to overcome difficulties he will be more more stubborn on sticking to the topic etc so in this sense artists and artists usually are passionate about their art they are the benefit they get again is not the financial reward but the appreciation to what they accomplished to their work you see today at the time that the corona is closing many art institute that uh, for instance performing art they want to perform you know not only to make money but they have the need to have an outlet to their uh, to their talent so i think passion is one of the common the common denominators to the two of them mm. so i want to take you to the next uh, kind of thing that uh, interests me is that The education system and the job environment kind of design in a way that separate disciplines. Either you are an artist, either you are a physicist, either you are a mathematician, either you are a musician, and we always have this separation left or right. What do you think about separation of disciplines? How it hurts creativity? Does it, why we are doing it? We are doing it because we are geared to think in boxes and to think in hierarchy. So the reason is reason of convenience. Now, Of course, when you put borders and you put silos, you reduce the capabilities. If you have what we call Renaissance people, people which are dealing with many disciplines, you can reach much better results, but it's much more difficult to manage it and to take care of it. So I think, by the way, that I mentioned the importance of uh, talent, And I mentioned the importance of passion, and now I'm going to mention the importance of the third property, which I think is very, very important, and this is curiosity. I think curiosity is critical, and curiosity is the tool to break the silos. You see, if you are curious, you ignore the borders. You know, if you are a software engineer, but you are a curious guy, you will branch out to try and study other things. So I think curiosity is one of the most important blessing. And I think you can educate young people to be curious by exposing them to a big variety of things. Technology, art, geography, whatever, you know. And do you think, Yossi, we can also ignite curiosity in adults? That's a very good question. I think you built it, you built it through your, your childhood. I think it's come also as kind of an internal motivation. Kind of, you know, not getting stuck to what you are used to. I, th- I think it has to do with the environment that you have at home. If you have an enriching environment, you get paints, you will be interested a little bit in drawing. You get books, you will be interested in general uh, knowledge. You will get uh, kits of chemistry, you will, you will be interested in chemistry. You will get kit of radio, you will be interested Yeah. This is, by the way, why I think that after school education, you know, all these kind of special subjects is very, very important. You have to expose your kids to as many topics and variety, variety of stimuli. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because, again, um, both Marisa Meyer, who you know personally, James Dyson, Brent Friend, all of them uh, successful tech entrepreneurs, all of them grew up in houses that actually merged disciplines, either a mother and a artist and a father engineer or the other way around. And they said that the first time that they realized there is a separation in discipline is that when they got to the education system and when they got into the job market, basically people said no. And for me, in a way, I see business leaders as kind of, if I would say, the parents of their employees. And I wonder how we can or how they can, those business leaders, actually create opportunities to bridge disciplines, not only getting stuck into Dorsalo in order, what we call in cliches, you just mentioned thinking in the box, how to think outside the box. What do you think business leaders can I do? Think, I think it has to do with the personality of the business leader and the challenges he's giving to his... Uh, Employees and teams. Yeah. You know, if, if the business leader is curious and if he stimulates it, or if he's not curious and he understands the need and he's able to import it 
it can it can happen but it's it's i think it's very from one individual to the other i don't think you can generalize i always say that only creative and innovative people building creative and innovative companies it's never about the organization it's individuals that influence other individuals that influence other individuals and at the end create ecosystem uh, i i would like to suggest a small small change in your definition it's it can be creative and innovative people but it can be also people who are not creative and not innovative if they understand the need and they are empowering creative and innovative people as as leaders you know in their organization totally for me that someone understand that for me it's already for me you see you are a creative person with everything that you are doing even though you don't define yourself but you are right you know if you look at the big at the big traditional old old time makers of design you know general electric or general motors or uh, xerox park or uh, bell labs you always found there at the helm somebody who had the vision and empower the people you know another thing which is very interesting why all these great places disappeared why do you think i don't know i didn't think about it until this uh, minute i think that quite a bit of it was because they were creative and innovative but they didn't adapt to the fact that 100 million guys young guys can come and do innovation you know the environment change you know the internet democratized innovation until 20 years ago if you wanted to do innovation you had to go to work in one of these companies or to go to DARPA or NASA or the NIH or a big big organization and then you know people were able to like the the guys i funded you know they when we sold the company we sold it with 66 people we sold it to AOL at the same week rolls royce which was 120 years company with 20000 employees sold to volkswagen for the same amount of money we got for 66 people from AOL with no revenue whatsoever so i think maybe these big organizations which were really amazing innovators didn't adapt themselves fast enough to the changing landscape for me kinnet is about heart it's about meeting people that are heart open it is about inspiration and i believe that's the future to go back to human to go back to your emotion i would say i ask you before really about what business leaders can do to inspire their team to bridge disciplines in a way you took it upon yourself or to create your own environment and in 2003 you founded kinernet which is the title called the imagination festival can you elaborate on that tell us a bit about the kinernet gathering around that happening now all around the world Yeah, I am now involved in number of events which bring together startup people to meet among themselves and also to meet large companies and investors. This is for me a total non for profit or for revenue activity and last year 2019 I've done 42 events all around the world just to empower creative and innovative and uh, people and i i really enjoyed it. it became very important component of my life and what i do i create not no judge and mental environment where people can meet with each other there is only one requirement and there are two requirement one is that they will treat each other nicely and the other one that everybody has to participate and the events are from 120 people per event to 22000 people per event and uh, i put emphasis on inviting creative people and every time i create an event usually at the end of the event somebody come and what say that he want to create also an event and i tell him go and create an event you can copy the format and that is and uh, we have uh, last year we had an event in portugal in spain in france in italy in greece in the nordic countries in india in uh, latin america in uh, israel in singapore in china you name it 
And I enjoy seeing all these young people coming with their great uh, ideas and finding um, like-minded people with whom they can share the experience and to whom they can show the wonderful thing they are doing. Recently, I just participated in the online uh, format, obviously due to the situation. And when I saw those examples, on the one hand, in those gatherings, you have a mix of backgrounds, artists, many of my artist friends, including our common friend, Liat Segal, that we also had a postcard with her, and Rana Das and other artist friends participate together with technologies and entrepreneurs. And on the other hand, when people living, you know, uh, on the day-to-day in the job market, I see this separation and still people perceive artists, you know, sometimes as lazy and hard to control and dreamers. And I feel that it's kind of the right moment to have more and more common grounds between business and tech companies to artists. I think, I think business begin to appreciate it by evolution. You know, you see... How far Steve, Steve Jobs was able to carry Apple just or almost just because of the element of being very keen about design. You know, I think this is a great example. Yeah. Or even if you talk about Amazon, you know, Amazon's success is not, I don't think it's because of their storage houses, you know, it's because of the experience they are giving on their site when you want to go and Or the people maybe don't pay attention, but the discovery mechanism to, by which you can see other relevant products, the, the contribution of the community by the reviews, etc. There are a lot, lot and lot and lot of very clever things, which if you don't have a very experienced eye, you even don't pay attention. attention to their existence. And I, I have to tell you another thing. You remember we say that you cannot reduce user experience to, to the algorithm. To algorithm. It's like I will show you orchid flower and I will tell you, please explain to me. First of all, I will ask you orchid flower. It's a beautiful flower. And you will say probably yes. And now I will tell you, okay, go and explain to me what makes it beautiful. You cannot explain it, but when you look on it, you know it's beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned before the difference between artistic creativity and technological creativity. You want to refer to it? The artistic creativity is about that from your brain or your heart or the combination of them, you go and create something which was never before. You know, I don't know who said it, Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci. One of the two of them said that when he, probably Michelangelo, when he stands on the front of a block of marble, he knows that there is a beautiful statue within it which wants to get out. You know, and he just helps it to get out by peeling the access material. But he's the only one who can see this beautiful statue. In technology, it's a different thing. The, the, the thing is there. The, the technology is there. Even if you invent, you invent something which 20 other people may invent in the same time, totally separately, think which will do the same thing. So you can come with a very clever idea, but it's not that you are the only one who can come with this clever idea. Other people will be eventually will be able to come also. So that's why I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned also in the past that in order to be involved in the internet and startup world, you don't have to be a computer person. You can be an artist, a storyteller, a musician, yeah, exactly. or a content creator. Yeah, yeah that, that it, uh, you need today to create a compelling product. You need much more than just software engineers. And what do you think about the business education? Business education, you mean like MBAs, etc.? Yeah. I... Uh, I think that they are good for, or at least the old curricula, maybe, I guess that in recent years they came with new, I hope for them, that they came with new, <laughs> new discipline. The, as it used to be like until 10 years ago, it was mainly good for real estate projects where you have cash flow that you can forecast, etc. Today, the... the needs are different. I guess, again, I didn't look into it, but I guess they must have. adopted their curricularized to things which are more digital more with user experience the only problem is what I think there is a limit to what you can teach 
especially in, uh, but, but probably you can teach, you can teach even design and art. So if you can design, teach design and art, why wouldn't you be able to design uh, to teach uh, user experience? Yeah, I think for me, the most important thing is how you actually teach people to speak to others people's heart, if it's even possible. So I have a question interesting. If you were to design or to build an entrepreneurship school or kind of training, what will you want your students to learn? You mentioned passion, you mentioned the experience. I'm interested to know if you have your own entrepreneurship school, what students will learn over there? The, the most important thing is to bring talented people together and let them have an end, end on experience. So if I would have created the entrepreneurship school, I guess that I would give them a lot of opportunities to try and to develop companies or concepts or products, etc. More like hands-on hackathons or, or on conferences, these sort of things, or meetups than just listening to lectures. But I think listening to lectures is also important because it gives you thought for uh, thought for thinking but since i'm not considering it i don't think that i represent any threat to the existing ecosystem of business schools so before we finish yossi i have two questions i have to tell you something tell me which i hope i'm not pissing off anybody out of the four entrepreneurs who created this instant messaging products which i told you about two never finished high school. Not they didn't finish business school, they didn't finish high school, and yet they were able to come with one of the most popular products in the world. Yeah, I think we see it more and more that, as you said, the internet democratized innovation. Yeah. So Yossi, before we finish, I kind of have two questions. And one is a, is a story that I, always, I like that you always say. Um, obviously, before the corona, as you mentioned, you travel all over the world. You are the chairman of the four years from now in Barcelona, the DLD, the Kinernet, beside your regular day-to-day. And when we got the corona, you became active online. You're running the DLD sync with your partners. And uh, last month, when I attended the virtual conference of Kinernet, you were, I think, the last one to leave. And today you are already 78, correct? Next month. First of all, congratulations. Actually, less than next month, three weeks. Okay. I'm asking myself, Yossi, where is all this energy coming from? How do you find the power to travel all around the world, meet so many people, get involved with all the conferences, and you are always there? You are not the one that come, just open the conference and go. You are always there. It's, it's amazing for me. What can I tell you? I think it's mainly, you know, I thought that when they will close flying, I will be miserable because last year I was in 24 different countries and I found that it didn't affect me at all, you know, that I cannot travel. I think the only logical explanation is the FOMO, that the fear of missing out. Since nothing is happening, I don't have fear of missing out, so I don't care that I don't that I don't travel. And also, I think that age is definitely a biological phenomenon, but it's also a mental phenomenon. The question is what you want to do with your life. And as long as uh, you are motivated and you are curious, as I told you, and you are passionate, I don't think that age affects it at all unless you have some physical constraints. And if you don't have them, then you can go on. Anywhere and everywhere. Yossi, one last question. And also, I want to yeah. tell you that, that I'm not so old because I'm now much more closer to 60 than to 50 years old. <laughs> Yossi, you are a legend. <laughs> you are a legend. <laughs> I don't know how you, can say, how you can say that you are not creative. I think you can be easily can be a comedian. And which leads me to my last question. Why don't you wear ties? Why don't I wear tie? Because yeah. ties stop the flow <laughs> of blood into the brain and it deprives the brain from oxygen. Uh, so I cannot understand why people wear ties, you know, because it just put pressure on your brain. Not a good idea. You see, such an insightful, funny, and uh, knowledgeable conversation for me. I hope you enjoyed as well. Last comments, thoughts. 
טיפס uh, you want to give to our listeners? Maybe the tip, I used to give it all the time, but now it became much more appropriate, and this is, there was a guy, British guy, by the name of Sir Freddie Laker. He invented cheap flights, and he once was, he once was asked by a young entrepreneur, what is the advice you can give to young entrepreneur? He said, follow your hunches, follow your belly, go and conquer the world, but never ever give personal guarantees. So this is the advice I can give. Thank you. Yossi, thank you very, very much for your time. I, everyone that wants to listen to Yossi, go check him on uh, DLD Sync. He's always active, leading very interesting conversation. Check the four years from now uh, conferences and when we will be back. Physically, I highly recommend you get the chance to see him on stage. Yossi, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Bye. We are producing our podcast without any ads, and we are relaying on our community's direct support. People like you, our listeners. So if you find it valuable, I will be super grateful if you could spread the word by leaving a rating and maybe a review. It will take you just 30 seconds to do so. And it is very helpful in getting these ideas to a wider audience. If you are interested to develop your artistic mindset, if you are looking to grow your business, if you want to develop the innovation competencies in your organizations, I will highly recommend you to check our workshops and trainings, all available on our website. The episode was mixed and mastered by Daniel Duran. You can subscribe to the Artian podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our previous shows are available on our website, www.derteyan.com slash podcast. Each episode includes show notes, guest recommendations, videos, and other materials. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us directly via email at podcast at derteyan.com. So I will be waiting here for you in the next episode with me, Nir Hindi. Once again, thanks for listening.